We're going to bring you on to our huddle. You are in the Warriors Huddle with me, Bram, with me per usual, my bar and producer, Marcus. What's up, Damnation? No, Maxime, today will be joining us at least in a couple of minutes here, but rejoining us for what? Just the second time overall in Huddle history, one of two winners of our Hunger Games light competition, the former owner of a murder house, a guy who will be working behind the scenes tirelessly to make this podcast even better throughout next season and a Warriors fan living super deep in enemy territory, Mr. Dylan the Igabyte. What's going on, Dylan? How you doing, sir? Good. I, I struggled through that open because I realized halfway through that I didn't know your last name. And I literally on my sheet here, it says Dylan X. And instead of just starting over the intro and asking you what the fuck your last name was, I just fumbled it and fucked it up. So my apologies. Not the best intro I've ever given. Well, it just like you, beat, you just beat Elon to the punch by giving me the last name X <laughs> on Twitter or anything. There you go. I mean, you could give me credit for fumbling into Igabyte. I didn't have that on the sheet and actually remembered it. Uh, for people who may not remember you as well as I do, let's start with a little stuff about you, man. Um, and let's start here. Where are you living right now? Right now, I'm in the Wichita Mountains in southwestern Oklahoma. And how long have you been a Warriors fan? Since, I think, 89. I had to look. I had to figure it out last time, uh, but since high school. So it's been a long time. Most important question. What's your last name? Yeah, minor. I spelled it wrong. I just spelled it X. So, I mean, whatever. I was I was fairly close to it. Uh, and at the risk of belaboring the obvious, I said Hunger Games competition. Earlier last year, we reached out. The show needed some help. And we turned to listeners we knew we could trust. Had, as I described it, a Hunger Games-like competition. Came out with two winners. And Dylan is one of them. And we're really hoping to use his skill set and everything as we go into next year. And before we asked him to help us, I wanted to have him on. And to give you guys, the audience, a sense of who the hell he is. Last background question for you, Dylan. Your call. Take it either way. Either your favorite warrior of all time or your least favorite warrior's opponent of all time. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with favorite because I, I think he's probably finally retired. It's uh, Andre Iguodala, right? Uh, I know you guys don't want me to go into the weeds with it, but I respect everything about that guy. You definitely did not go into the weeds right there. That was a <laughs> remarkably short answer. MT, take the other side of that. I know I ask you this like once every four or five months. Give me your least favorite opponent. Who do you hate out there? And if you Dang, tell me some shit about Dang. brotherhood or something like that, that like, no, you just respect <laughs> everybody in the NBA. I will do the rest of this podcast with just Dylan X. <laughs> just Dylan X. Um, well, the answer has changed. It's it's now James Harden. It used to be CP3, but now that he's <laughs> part of the brotherhood, <laughs> it has changed. <laughs> and that is the perfect transition. I'd like to dig into that, but it's too good of a transition. I can't let it go. So let's move to our golden questions. Uh, and the first one has to do with our good friend, James Harden, who found himself in the news on ESPN. Uh, I think it was Adrian Wojciechowski who initially reported this, but we've got the quote itself. Harden is overseas, I think, in China. It had this to say about his uh, GM, Daryl Morey. Daryl Morey is a liar, and I will never be a part of an organization that he's a part of. Let me say that again. Daryl Morey is a liar, and I will never be a part of an organization that he's a part of. All right, so not the best of audio, although I'm sure you heard it. Harden just said say it once, said it twice. Daryl Morey is a liar, and I'll never be a part of that organization again. Uh, so 
entertained for a million reasons and I got some follow-ups. Uh, let me start with the idea that he had to double down. Like, mm -hmm. I don't feel like people say things twice in real life at all. You know, we see it in the movies, you know, like today was a good day. Today was a good day, but you don't see that shit when you're like just speaking to a crowd. And the idea that he gave that speech to a group of disinterested Chinese basketball fans who were just there to like have an autograph signed. He's like, yeah, I'd like to sign that. Also, fuck Daryl Morey forever was really entertaining to me. Um, but that's not the follow ups I had. Here's the follow up I had. And let's go basketball related first. So as you just said, MT, we have already welcomed in an old enemy into our lives. CP3 is now a very large part, or hopefully will be, a very large part of our championship run next year. But now we know that Harden is apparently and very available. He will never play with Daryl Morey, and I don't think Daryl Morey is going anywhere. So Philly may be uh, interested in a trade, which leads to this. I hopped onto the ESPN trade machine and can tell you that if you offered CP3 and Pods, our new rookie, the salaries match for Harden. I'm not saying Philly would do it. They probably wouldn't. But let's assume for the purpose of this next question, they would, all right? Would you guys be willing to make that trade? Would you trade CP3 in Podzinski for James Harden straight up? MT, why don't you take it first? No. Um, outside of it, just because James Harden, it's one thing to have CP3 wear Warriors uniform. It's another thing to have James Harden wear one. Um, but outside of that, just from a basketball fit standpoint, James Harden has to have the ball in his hands. He led the league in assists last year, but that would mean he would have to have the ball in his hands, which means Steph doesn't have it in his hands. And I take Steph 11 times out of 10 over James Harden all day. So um, just from a basketball standpoint, no, I don't think it's a great trade. Um, and just from a culture standpoint, we, we can't allow CP3 and James Harden. You might as well just bring PJ Tucker in as well. It's already been done. We might as well sign Hitler at this stage. CB3 is here, dude. So there's not, you know, like we've already kind of compromised our bath or basketball ethics. Uh, but I'm going to agree with you and I'll take it from a different standpoint. It's mentality. So, you know, CB3 doesn't have a title. Neither does Hart. But I have seen CP3 give everything he has in playoff series before he got hurt. And I've also seen Harden quit multiple playoff series without getting hurt. And so, you know, there, there's different ways you can lose. And I'm not super interested in bringing somebody in who has proven not once, but multiple times that he'll fold, you know, that if things don't necessarily go exactly as they should, mentally, he may check out. So, yeah, I, I think I would say no to that one as well. Maxime, welcome. We missed you uh, in the open. You missed really a great introduction of Dylan. It's unfortunate. You'll have to listen to that uh, on the rewind. What up, Dylan? What's up, buddy? He's going by Dylan X now, just so you know. Uh, and we'll, we'll go right back to you, Maxine, but we've already brought up his name. Dylan, where are you at on this? Would you trade for Harden? Uh, absolutely not. Like, under no circumstances. If you ask me if I would trade the ghost of James Wiseman for James Harden, I still wouldn't do it. Uh, we just got rid of some potential personality conflicts because of people who weren't really willing to buy into that, that warrior's methodology, um, that warrior's mindset. There is nothing in the world that is less uh, get it, uh, do anything to get it done than James Harden. Like he is the antithesis of what makes Warriors basketball great. I, I get the feeling that somewhere right now, James Wise was like, 
the fuck? Somebody talking shit about me for no reason? Like, did I just catch a stray bullet in a James Harden conversation? Like, what? Have a ghost? What's exactly (laughs) happening here? Uh, I have talked about this with Maxime already, so I know that he probably is not interested in Harden either. So I'm going to change the question to you, Maxime. The, what we just heard was Harden publicly shit out his boss, you know, and you don't see that too often. I mean, basketball dynamics are a little bit different and using the word boss there is weird, but you know, close enough. So for you and take it either direction, what's the nastiest thing you've ever said to a boss or the ugliest thing a boss has ever said to you? <laughs> uh, the ugliest thing a boss has ever said to me. I mean, nothing immediately comes to mind other than me asking for a raise and my boss saying no. So that was pretty ugly for my soul. Uh, at least, I mean, in both, it is such a difficult environment to say something ugly to your boss because, like, that's the person that writes your paychecks. And I don't know about any other state, but in California, you know, you can fire somebody without. You can just fire them whenever you want. It's what is it right to work? You're the lawyer. Um, at so will. at, at will, boom. Yes. Yeah. So I'm not messing around with that. It's a pretty bold move. I'm with you on that. I don't have anything nasty. I've said to a boss, but I've had multiple nasty things said to me. Um, let's see in no particular order. I worked as an intern in a law firm for a while and was doing nothing, but it felt like the nothing I was doing was really, really important. And any opportunity I got to kiss a boss's ass, I would. And one of those bosses was, and we were walking through the firm and I'm just following and just like asking, just kissing his ass blatantly and unnecessarily. And John, is there anything I can do? How can I help you? Is there work I can I can take off your shoulders? Anything, anything, anything. And then John stops, looks back, exceptionally annoyed and says, more than anything, all I want is this moment to end. And then he walked <laughs> off and it was the most savage thing anyone had ever said to me. Like I wasn't like I had to pick myself off the floor like, <laughs> uh, and like stumbled back to my cubicle was what it was. You know, you, you can't win them all. Uh, MT, Dylan, you guys got anything here? Yeah. Um, I mean, it was, it, it was nasty just because of how I took it at the time, but, um, I was a former, um, grocery specialist at Safeway, which means I, I bagged groceries. Um, so <laughs> I think we knew what that meant, dude, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and at the time they had secret shoppers and one of the things that they would do is they'd send a secret shopper in there to kind of test and make sure you were doing everything correctly. And one of the things that Safeway, um harped upon was if some if a customer asked where a specific product was you had to walk with them to that product and touch the product and i got asked to do that by a secret shopper and they asked me like well where is this popcorn at or whatever and i went there and i went all the way up to it and i like put my finger to it but i didn't touch it and a week later i got a um report back and my boss at the time calls me into the office in the back and says we got a perfect score except for you didn't touch this item when the secret shopper asked it. And then he looked at me and he said, you may not care, but it affects all of us. You need to care more about us. And the way he said it, I was like, that's like the opposite. The way you're talking to me right now, like I care less about you right now. I care about everybody else, but it just kind of hit me deep. Cause I was like, oh man, I, I pointed to it. I just didn't touch it. And that secret shopper, whoever he or she is, is still a jerk to this day. Is it good that when you started that story, I thought you were going to say, look, I have death perception issues. And because of that, I told my boss to fuck himself. And I was like, oh, that's terrible. That's unfortunate that another disability somehow led you in the wrong way. I also thought when you use the phrase secret shopper, you meant shoplifter. So it turns out I don't know everything about Safeway culture. Well, as a Safeway shopper, I appreciate you not touching my apples and other fruit items. Yes. Thank you. 
As exactly. a Safeway shopper, I cannot believe you walked him to an aisle. I have like <laughs> died in Safeway before they show me anything. My wife has a superhuman ability, like legitimately. In fact, I am so appreciative to finally be able to like get this tension out of my life. Every time my wife asks me to go grab something from the store, it's always that one thing you can never find. It's, yeah. I mean, like sesame seed oil or some shit, which seems easy and it's impossible. And when you go and ask the person from Safeway, they basically tell you all I want is for this moment to end. Like they, they will not bring you anywhere. Nobody's touching shit. So look, dude, you are a superhero in that interaction as far as I'm concerned. And I'd say this segment is brought to you by Whole Foods or something not Safeway. <laughs> exactly right. Also, Safeway, if you'd like to say, like, you know, help out and be a sponsor on this show, I take back everything we just said. You are phenomenal. And your sesame seed oil is the best sesame seed oil of it. Super easy to find. So, yeah, I mean, they touch it and show it to you. So, I mean, it's super easy. <laughs> Only, only a, a complete idiot would not be able to find it, right? That's, I think that's what we're saying. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. And leads us to our next question. This hmm. one's a time machine one. I always like time machine questions. Uh, so in this instance, boys, we have a time machine, but it's not as useful as you'd like it to be. You can uh, only go to two events and you can only make one change. So more specifically, you can use this time machine to go back to either the 2016 finals You'll remember that as the finals of the Warriors lost after going up 3-1, after having a 73-win season, going up 3-1 and then coughing it up. Or you can go back to the 2019 finals. That's the one where KD and Clay got hurt and we ultimately lost to Toronto. And you can change the outcome of either one. Not both, but one. You have to choose one. So if you could go back and pick either the 2016 title or the 2019 title, which outcome would you change? Well, that's when you first said it, I was like, well, for sure, it's going to be the 73 win season that's uncompleted. That will stick in every Warrior fan's craw until the day we die. That is the equivalent of Roger Craig dropping the, the fumble in the NFC championship grain when the Niners were going for the three-peat. We'll never get over it. But I'm actually, I think I'm going to go the other way now because, I mean, we won another title, but that ended the dynasty. Dirty Danny Green when he went there and uh, tried for the ill-timed block on Clay, that was the injury that started the the whole tumble. So I think, I think, I mean, how many more titles do we win if Clay never gets hurt? If KD, he's probably going to leave anyway. But if he doesn't blow out his Achilles in in was it game five? Game five, right? If that doesn't happen, are we still up and rolling? Probably. So I think uh, I'll change my mind and I'll go with that one. Yep, 2019. I like watching you battle yourself during that. Um, so instead of giving you my response, I'm going to give you my thinking Then I'm going to cough it up to you boys. And then I'll give you my response because maybe you'll have some things that will help change how I'm feeling about it. But there's upsides on both, right? So 2016, get rid of the 3-1 jokes, which means a lot. You know, I mean, I, I, I've spent seven years pretending like it doesn't bother me. It does. It bothers me. I'd like them to finish. I'm done with it. Also gets rid of the only time LeBron beat us in the finals, which means that, you know, LeBron stands can shut the fuck up. We don't have to worry about that. We don't have to see that highlight of LeBron blocking Iguodala anymore. All of that stuff goes out. We solidify the 73 win season. We get back-to-back -back wins immediately with this team, right? Because they won in 2015. Um, there's a lot of upsides. There's a downside. And, and I don't know this for sure, but I, there's an argument to be made. If they win in 2016, KD doesn't come. Katie doesn't come. We may or may not give up some of those other titles. We at least have to say it out there. You know, I know there's suggestion he would have anyways, but we at least need to acknowledge it. 2019, three Pete, 
yo, there's no no more talking about we're not a dynasty, although we are. The three-peats haven't happened since the Lakers did it, I think, in like 2000 to 2002. It's possible it convinces KD to stay. Probably not, but it's possible, in which case we're talking to what? Four-peat? Five-peat? However many Pete, you know, we, we would have been one of the best teams of all times. And maybe most importantly, I don't have to watch fucking Jurassic Park and Toronto fans celebrate like madmen in that outdoor arena. I hated that shit. So I don't think that there's a wrong answer. Both of these can bring joy, but they all, you know, they, 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 we have to pick one. All right. So I'm not picking. I'm just saying those out there. MT, Maxime, what do you think? Well, what is there? There's a caveat too. Does the 2019 title, do we get that because KD and Clay are healthy? Or is it just we win the title? Somehow Steph goes magic and they're Let's, still injured, but we win the title. Anyway. Great question. Let's say we can't change the injuries, right? So if we pick 2019, what that supposes is that Steph straps these bad boys on their back and walks away with the title as Superman, you know, and, and most likely in that scenario gets a finals MVP then too. Yeah. Um, I still think it's 2019. Um, I, I, I like the fact that we had KD. I think those, you know, those years, those three years were solidified the dynasty. And it just, it was an amazing time to, to walk onto the court and have Steph Clay, Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, and DeMarcus Cousins be your starting five. I think is arguably one of the best starting five lineups to ever, even though DeMarcus was a shell of himself at that point. But I just, I don't think you give up the chance to get KD. I agree. I think if we win in 2016, KD doesn't come and I don't, I don't want to give that up. <laughs> That's the determining thing for me. I think, no, so I'll add this. All right. The 2016 loss um, doesn't have an inset excuse. 2019 does, you know? So like if, if we just sit on the 2019 loss, if that maintains in our history, we can always point out, I mean, it feels like Toronto fan has kind of accepted that it was injuries that led to that title, you know? So if we turn around 2016 and 2019 already has a, an excuse, you know, there's something to be said there, but all of that in this mic, I'm with you, MT 2019. And it's, it's the KD thing. I, I, again, I get, maybe he would have come, but I don't think he would have. And to chance those other two titles to make sure we had 2016, I don't know if I, uh, if I'm willing to take that chance, Maxime. Well, you know, it's funny. Cause I was going to say, I, it is kind of amazing to me that we were both an Achilles injury away because let's face it, even after KD went down, I mean, Clay had the team on his back in game six and we almost came out with that. So, uh, you know, I, it, Obviously, if KD didn't get injured, it's a very different story. But I was about to say we were an Achilles injury away from 2019, and we were a dick punch away from 2016. I actually do blame Draymond's suspension for a huge reason why we didn't win the 2016 finals. And there's like a lot of sweetness to that to me because the 2016 team was the team with Kevin Love, right? That that they deserved to that was a legitimate title winning sure. team. The Raptors, excellent. Kawhi is amazing, but it didn't feel like as deserved of a thing. And so for me, it's almost like, eh, it's a fluke. Like there were two injuries that got them that title as opposed to one dick punch. So to me, it would have been sweeter to get that 2016. I don't know. I agree overall that I loved having KD. I can't wait for some more time to pass so that I can wear my KD jersey again out in public um, with a long sleeve shirt on underneath because I'm not jacked. Um, but I also, I agree with Dylan. I also, as soon as we won the regular season with the 73 and nine, I was so juiced on stuff's 400. 108 threes. It was such an awesome season. I went out and I got a custom, the record 73 and nine shirt. And then we lost. And I haven't, like, I literally have not been able to wear it since it feels like a giant, um, 
uh, curse upon the whole thing. And I would like to be able to wear that shirt. So, you know, my wardrobe wins, I think, a lot more um, if we win the 2016 title. And I think there's two other injuries before that Durant shirt is welcomed again, dude. So, I I mean, like, I don't don't know if you're going to be wearing jerseys in your 80s, but like, if you are, then yeah, go for that. I'm going to be jacked in my 80s. You do what you want. Wear what you (laughs) want. Exactly. Um, And then there's two other injuries that never, you know, like, I agree. I think Draymond getting suspended changed the complexion of that series, but we we never talk about the fact that Andrew Bogut got hurt and was out of the series and Iguodala hurt his back and was out and didn't, you know, was hobbled. So, Yes, Draymond was a big impact, but we also had some big injuries for the for the rest of that series as well. Which one did you guys take harder? First, let me get this out of my notes. Um, that 2019 loss features my favorite moment in any playoff series that we lost. And it was the, what, 45 seconds to 90 seconds where Durant came back. And there was a collective squeal oh. from Toronto when they were terrified. You know, he'd be blocked a shot and hit two threes. And you could legitimately see on that television screen, the 19,000 people in that building's collective asshole tighten up. And like, that was just, it was one of my favorite moments. Then he got hurt and it was what it was. But I, I genuinely enjoyed that. Uh, back to the ones we took harder. I think it's 2016, 2019. I was there when they lost and that was a nightmare and the crowd got ugly. And it's one of the only times that warrior fans reminded me of a Raider fan. As we left that building, there was a little animosity between warrior fans and Toronto fan. And I'd never seen that before. So I, you know, I think it hurt a lot of people, but 2016 is when I took the hardest father's day. I remember having my parents over and I remember sitting there in silence after they lost and I'm not sure how long one person has to sit in silence for everybody else to realize it's time for you to leave. But that's how long I sat there. And then my mom, dad, and sister shuffled out as I was being hella pissy and silent. So just a uh, an ugly scenario, to say the least there. Yeah, I I, I agree. The last thing that happened, I, I was kayaking the Grand Canyon. And I went in and uh, Steph had hurt his foot in Houston. Or excuse me, his knee in Houston when he slipped. But he'd had it, he'd, he started out with a foot injury. He came back. He slipped and hurt his knee. By the time I got back, we were, we were in, we were, Going into it was game six, uh, game six clay in Oklahoma City. And I started watching. And I was like, there is even with even with Steph, even with him limping like he is, even though he's not, he's a shell of himself. We we're gonna do this. We get in there, we go up three-one, and we go up three-one easy. And we lost one. And I was like, that's all right, we're still gonna do it. We lose another one. I just I could not believe it. That was the most brokenhearted. I honestly, it's the most brokenhearted I've been since Roger Craig dropped that damn fumble in the NFC Championship game against the Giants. I can tell that that fumble really damaged you, man. I I mean, we we are like eight minutes removed from two immediate references to it. So it it, it seems to really be haunting you. And I hope to help you get through it. I don't know what to tell you. Like, it's just, I'll include it in your intro next time. That is a promise. Here's our next one, and it's an over-under. Maybe we'll show the highlights here as part of their YouTube package. But Jonathan Kaminga was in a Pro-Am game. He played over in uh, Seattle at Jamal Crawford's Pro-Am and put up a 60 spot. So, you know, dude, Pro-Ams and, you know, it doesn't immediately transfer over. But 60 points is not a small amount of points. And he did it in pretty impressive fashion. So it leads to this over-under. The number is 25. The over-under is... How many points? What's the highest point total that Jonathan Kaminga will have in a game heading into next year? And for a little context, uh, the two highest point games he's ever had during the regular season, 26 and 25. 26 in 2021, that's first the Raptors. 25, 
versus the Bulls. MT, take this one. Over, under 25 for JK next year. I think over. I think he goes out against maybe like the Spurs or a team that is not going to be as good and he'll get a little over 30. I'm going to say 31. Dylan? I'm going to go with 32. I'm obviously going to take the over. I think uh, this is his first real summer, spending the whole summer in the lab. And CP3 is the perfect point guard for a wing like him, right? Like he doesn't have to, he doesn't have to do all the thinking. Uh, we're not running a motion offense. It's going to be pick and roll and fly and dunk. So I, I'm expecting a really big year from him. And well, you said 31, Marcus. I'm going to go prices right and say 32. <laughs> Let's go. I like unnecessary competition. Just for the record, it's just over under 25. So you both could have said over, but I mean, that's fine. Anytime somebody challenges MT, you know, I'm on board for it. Um, I am not going to go prices right, but I will say over. And to make it not just a Homer take, I'm going to read you a quote from Kaminga. This is uh, a quick excerpt from an ESPN article. Quote, Kaminga told ESPN at the Basketball Without Borders camp in South Africa, quote, this upcoming season is definitely the year. A lot of people are expecting so much from me and myself. I'm expecting a lot. It's a lot of pressure, but I really don't pay attention to the noise. The pressure is always going to be there. It's just on me to go out there and perform. So over 25, I will take it. Let's go to Clay. So Clay went on, I think, Paul George's podcast and dropped a bunch of gold Clay takes. And here's one of the things he told the podcast P. You know, Andrew, Steph, Dre, CP and I, and the rest of the guys, we're hungry. We, uh, we're in our group chat right now. We're trying to set up some mini camps for the season, but we're all on the same page. Like, look, we got another ring in us. We, we, we at least expect that and we can do it if we just stay the course and not look too far ahead, take it week by week and just enjoy the process. Cause that's all you can really do. Mm-hmm. If you focus on a championship, it doesn't really do you nothing. You got to enjoy everything about it the training camp the preseason mm-hmm. so last year i definitely have a bad taste in my mouth still but that's not the worst thing because now i'm hungrier than ever and i still want to you know i want to get back to that mountaintop like four is cool but why not get as many as you can get exactly at least attempt mm-hmm. and then i can walk away from this game saying i gave it everything i had exactly. that's all you can do let's go all right so if i had to handpick something that you were going to hear from clay thompson during the offseason that would essentially be it i even like that he didn't put it at five you know, four is cool, but let's get however many we can get and open it up to multiple future championships. So I've been holding on to these numbers, right? We've been doing these over-unders. I love them, but I haven't asked you boys how many wins we think next year or what seed the Warriors go to. And I think that quote we just heard is the perfect jumping off point. So you boys tell me, I'm not going to give you an over-under. I want your straightforward guesses. How many wins during the regular season for the Warriors? And uh, do you think or what seed do you think they'll ultimately end up in? I'm trying to think about, so I'm, I'm thinking 48 wins, and then I'm trying to figure out where that that puts them in the seeding. I think that's probably probably what going to be likely a four seed, maybe a five. Um, and I say that what I hope will happen, you guys remember that first year with KD, how Draymond and the whole team, was they wanted to win for KD. When we went to Oklahoma City, do you remember how pumped up they were to get that win for him? Well, now they have the chance to do that for CP3. And so I think that they, they, they uh, as much as there'll probably be some downtime with injuries, I think we do see them push. So 48 to 50. And as, you were, 50. Sa- 
I realize that I'm totally full of shit. We're not one episode removed from when I did put an over-under on this because I think Vegas had it at 48.5 and we explored this with Wes. And I, as you were saying that, I remembered my rationale for why they'd be below, but we didn't put it at the seed. So let's have it as a seed. All right, MT, take just that question. What do you think, man? The West wraps, where will the Warriors stand? I think we are the four seed. Yeah. Why? I agree with you. I think it's I think it's just shy of what Dylan predicted. I don't think we get to 48. I think we're at 46, and that puts us in the four seed. It's just tough this year. I mean, Denver will be there. Phoenix, obviously. I think the Lakers will probably be a three seed. Um, and then and then we come in there. I, I don't know what the Clippers will do unless they get hard and um Phoenix. You know, sack, you know, was is yeah. obviously a good conversation. But I think now that they've been there, I, I wonder if they can sustain it. Um, so I, I give us the four seed at 46 wins. I think the Warriors are gonna have a real title run next year. And I also think they're gonna be lower in the seedings than any of us want. Um, I think there's going to be a couple of teams like New Orleans, like Sacramento, um, maybe Memphis. Uh, I mean, in a lesser extent, but they at least have to be mentioned, especially with Dylan on the call. OKC, young teams who are trying to establish, OK, we're doing this now. And for them, the regular season is going to mean a lot. You know, they're going to put a lot into winning games, establishing a culture and trying to move up the standings, whereas the Warriors will care. But I don't think they'll care about the standings as much as they will care about getting rotations that work. And so I can see them sliding down further than we want and Warriors Twitter and social media losing their fucking mind and, you know, having to go through all that shit and fire Kerr and everything, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but I, I think we'll be lower than we want and then we'll be fine. I don't you know, I think we'll do real well during the playoffs, but I think it could be a rough regular season. I agree. The West is so freaking loaded right now. And and I actually, I would not be surprised if OKC finishes in the top four. I mean, with Chet Holmgren coming back, this is, you know, this is a squad um, in the wings waiting to happen. So, you know, there's going to be a couple of surprises. Sure. I think Sacramento has the potential to be a regression team. Um, I, I mean, they're obviously amazing. They scared the shit out of me uh, when we played them, but that's just the perfect candidate for, you know, they, they hadn't really been there before they got it. Somebody's going to get injured or whatever. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we were the six seed. I would almost concede, like allow OKC right now to be ahead of us in the standings if I could get a promise from Bob Fitzgerald that he wouldn't point out that there's two Jalen Williams on that fucking team 8,000 times during the broadcast. <laughs> like if we could just somehow skip that, fine, dude. Yep, you guys get the win. I don't care what colleges they went to. I don't care that they have the same name. I don't need to hear Azubuki fake laugh like he wasn't expecting uh, Fitz to say that a thousand times. So, you know, Open offer, OKC, if you have that kind of power. Uh, gentlemen, we have a phenomenal Judgment Theater coming up, courtesy of Dylan here. But before we get that, let's get one more Clay quote out of that podcast P appearance. If you got that one, Maxine, let's run it. You low-key a trash talker. Yeah. What's the favorite bar you dropped on someone in the league? I know, Book, mm. you gave him the... Yeah, I was in my feelings, though. And time. Book was busting my <laughs> that day. I was not where I needed to be. Yeah. <laughs> You know, stuff doesn't age well. Now that it age well, fun, yeah. like, I don't need to be flexing four rings, bro. Like, everybody know that. That's on Wikipedia. My game wasn't where I was at. And we all get insecure at times. I managed to admit that we all have our moments of weakness. So I'm not really proud of that one. Because I see Devin Booker and I should be like, man, I should be proud of this young man. Yeah. Like, the work he's put in, he survived a tough 
regime in Phoenix where everyone's getting tradies, playing for a new coach every year, but now he's a franchise player because he just kept working. So I admire the guys who have work ethic like mm -hmm. that, you know? So I got to follow up on that, but first a quick observation. Um, I love the offseason Clay is having. The main thing I love about the offseason Clay is having is that there's a whole lot of footage out there of him playing in pickup games. The reason I love that is last year he didn't pick up or didn't play in a single pickup game during the offseason. And as he described it, it's because he was uncomfortable doing it. That's where he got hurt, right? And so that now he is feeling confident enough in his body to go out there. I love. But the other thing I like about that quote is that it shows he's in a mentally better place. I can identify with showing four rings and I can identify with why he did it. You know, he was feeling defensive. He didn't he wasn't feeling himself in that game. And that he could during this offseason recognize, yeah. Booker was kicking the shit out of me, you know, and that's not something I wanted to say illustrates a type of confidence that I don't think we've seen in clay for about a year. So I'm on board, but that's not the question. The question is what's the most effective shit talking anyone has ever dropped to you. I've already revealed mine. It was John McGuinn telling me all I want is this moment to end. So mine's on the table. Yeah, is there anything that sticks out for you boys, either athletically or otherwise? Is there some line somebody's given to you guys that just devastated you? Um, I was in a basketball league through work, and it was like all the tech companies played against each other. So we play Facebook, LinkedIn, and you know, like Salesforce and all those companies. And I played in it for three three years, and it was right at the cusp of me still being able to play and my body doing all the things that my mind told it to do. And then the last year, my mind would tell my body to do something and it wouldn't do it the same way. And that last season, we played a team that I had played, um, you know, the previous two seasons with the same players. And, you know, my jump shot hadn't been falling, you know, all season and particularly in that game. And one of the guys that, you know, I recognized and played, left me open and then he told another oh. guy who's coming to double team me he said no he doesn't have it anymore and i was oh. like oh and it, it hurt because it was true but it was also just like I, I wanted to make that shot so bad and i still missed it and it was just it was it was the worst i hate that person and it reminds me of another shit talking line i received in a pickup game this is years and years and years ago i got open in a similar circumstance and someone from the other team screamed he's with us and like i don't i, 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 I missed every shot from there on out I don't even know what he meant, you know, like it, 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 he got deep in my mind, dude. Like, even as I say it now, it makes me nervous. I'll have That's you know, if you're line. listening, I wasn't with you. That's not what I wanted to do. And I don't like that. It felt like you were reading my diary. That was a terrible moment for me. Dylan, you got anything here? Yeah. Well, okay. So I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, I'm a ginger. So you may have heard of ginger rage. So Shit talk don't work on me. That just engages my superpower. Dylan, we're on video. I mean, I don't know if you knew that, but I can definitely see that you're a ginger. I mean, we are. I'm looking at your hair oh. right now. So, so ginger rage, it's like the Hulk, brother. Like it's always there. And uh, we were, it was high school and when uh, it was like intramural basketball. And of course, we're all lined up and we're, I'm six foot one and I got, I don't know, 20 some inch vertical. I'm not super athletic. And we're going for the dunk over and over. And I'm just missing over and over. And this one guy, just, I, I won't, I won't say exactly what it was because uh family show and there's a little, a little bit of a racial component to it, but he looked at me and he's like, why don't you just quit? And I was like, you know what? Fuck you. And I went up there and I dunked and I've never dunked again since that was the one time in my entire life. And I threw it down and it was a moment of glory and I will live under it forever. I mean, Marcus, it turns out you have a teammate on your pious team. Holy shit, dude. 
that ended up being like Dylan not really being shit house to, and he turned out to be a racial hero. I mean, I don't, I'm not even sure what the comment was, but he he uh, he was able. And to winning the dunk contest. <laughs> Marcus's follow up was like, "How did your depth perception affect you? Were you still able to dunk without being able to see through both eyes, or how did that go, Dylan? Keep the mic. Give us your judgment theater." Okay. All right. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm recently married and I'm now a stepdad and I have a 14 year old stepdaughter. And as she gets closer and closer to getting uh, her learner's permit and actually starting to drive, we've started to introduce her to driving. And we live in rural Oklahoma. There's a lot of wide open spaces, empty roads, empty parking lots, plenty of room to practice. And she has a friend who comes over quite a bit, who's also 14, about the exact same age. And that friend, she doesn't have like the greatest home life. She lives with her grandma and nobody was really teaching her how to drive. So the very first time, very first time, uh, my wife, she's going to work. She's like, okay, the boat, uh, your daughter is here and her best friend. Um, and you're babysitting for the very first time ever. She's like, don't do anything stupid. I'm like, I got this. I got this. And so we decided we're going to go to the lake and on the way, I, I find out that this best friend, she's never had the opportunity to drive. She's never, ever had the opportunity to drive. And so I'm like, okay, there's this empty parking lot here. Would you like to get your first taste of driving? And she says, yes. And I'm like, okay, great. And this parking lot, it's, it's mostly empty. There's an old kind of warehouse kind of in the back of it. And this parking lot and the warehouse belong to the largest landowner in our entire county. He also is a complete uh, boss hog style rich guy, right? Like he has swindled. He's been shot multiple times and everybody just complained that the bullets never took. Like, you know, we're we're in the sticks out here sometimes. So everything's going good. We get her in there and she's going straight. And now we need to turn and make this 90 degree turn going around the warehouse. And so she's going and everything's good. I'm like, okay, slowly turn. We're only going six miles an hour slowly turn and she gets to 90 i'm like looking perfect and she keeps turning and i'm like no no straighten out and she keeps turning and then i'm like hit the brakes she hits the accelerator bam, right into the building so there i am with two 14 year old girls neither of whom like one of whom i have zero legal responsibility for we've just run into and and put a solid dent like we didn't go inside the building put a solid dent into the warehouse of the shadiest richest and most powerful guy for 60 miles in any direction. And so now I have a choice to make. Um, I have to choose like, hey, are, do we, you know, do we just back up and book it and get out of here? Do I try to leave a note? Um, or, you know, what is the the responsible thing to do here? What do you do if you're in that scenario? Um, so two quick follow-ups before we get into the judgment on it. Follow-up number one, I have never used the descriptor shot multiple times while trying to describe like a property owner in an area. So Oklahoma City is its own thing. And then also, newsflash, Dylan, pretty sure that was your car. I don't give a fuck if you're her father or not. You had legal responsibility for that 14-year-old who crashed into Boss Hogg's structure. <laughs> um, all right, boys. So me. That happens, okay? Um, and this is appropriate because my first car accident came in uh, at the age of 13, although I wasn't on a shady landowner and there wasn't any adults in the car. But I have had some experience with uh, automobile mishaps. What do I do, gentlemen? Two kids in the car, a bent building, somebody who may or may not be getting shot in the background who owns the fucking building. What's the move? 
I feel like there's there's no way that you in your line of work have not seen 500 situations where somebody did the exact runaway move and you're like, ah, there was a camera, like we have the evidence or whatever. I just, I, I don't think that even if you wanted to run, you could because you knew that you'd eventually get caught. We are heavy on guests today or a lot of voices. So I'm just going to give one guess for me and then I'll give you the response here. Um, so this really, this question depends on where it happens to me. Um, and it's going to be my least douchebaggy or assholey answer I've ever given in a judgment theater. So if this is just me, right? If it happens at 13, I'm out. The one when I crashed, the cops came very quickly. So I wasn't able to escape and my car was completely destroyed. But had that car been okay and the only thing that was damaged with the thing I hit, I'm gone. I died a thousand percent gone. If this happens now and there's no kids in the car, is there a chance that I bounce from that shady property? Sure. There's a chance. I mean, probably not, you know, um, not because of any like ethical obligation, but because of what you just said, Maxine, that somebody would find me and a small problem becomes a giant one. But this whole analysis switches to there's kids in the car, especially of mine. Right. So I understand it wasn't, you know, my daughter isn't the one who caused the crash, but she's in there. And so if, if my kid is watching this shit happen, I don't know if I'd be able to be like, let's go, you know, beat fucking feet. Like, let's hope there's no cameras and, and teach the we're bouncing and not taking responsibility. So it's not that I'm a good person. We all know I am not a good person. It's that I want my kid to be, you know, and so I don't I don't know. I don't think I would leave. And I guess you would be forced to leave a note. But the caveat would be like, I leave a note and maybe leave the wrong number. I don't know. You know, some, <laughs> some way I'm on the outs and outs. I show the responsibility, but then don't actually follow up. That I mean, to be fair, that's not true. I'd, I'd be boring in this circumstance. I think I would leave a note and just take the punch. You know, it, it was what it was. Um, let's go to Marcus. Uh, boring. I, I mean, I think I think it's a similar analysis, but I think his analysis just starts where mine ended. You know, I, I don't know where he goes at 13. I don't know where he goes alone at 40. Um, but I'm positive with kids in the car, he's leaving a note and playing it boring. What's the answer, Ben? Um, it's the opposite. It's it's what you've leaned into. So at 15 with my driver's permit, um, my mom was and I was, was teaching me how to drive and I ran into a stop sign in front of Rite Aid in Montclair Village and it bent the pole over and we sit, sat there for a second. And she was just like, just keep driving. And we just kept <laughs> going and we bounced. And to this day, like you said, it sticks with you and it kind of teaches you how to handle that situation. So in, in my mind, I'm like, well, that's the right way to handle that situation. <laughs> so if I needed to set a better example for my daughter and the roles were reversed, then I would get out and write a note. But the note would have a wrong number and be signed like D-Duck or M-Mouse or something. Here's my first parental crash scenario. Similar. I get into my dad's car. Uh, back it out of the driveway and back it immediately into my mom's car. Fucking 30 seconds later, you know, I mean, like immediately, there was no space at all. And my dad's advice was pull the fuck back in. And that was it. That was the end of my first driving <laughs> lesson. We didn't leave a note, but I live there. So <laughs> I think they knew what happened. Um, Dylan, why don't you offer a guess for Maxine? Well, I think Maxine, I don't know. Like we're talking about the crazy tree climber. Like I could, I could definitely see him uh, just being like big eyes and and peeling out and heading out. But I also kind of feel like he's he's pretty responsible at this point in his life. 
But I'd like to think that he he went full Bo and Luke Duke and just yeehawed and rolled on out of there. Maxime cleans up dog shit that isn't his. There's a, the, the amount of guilt that would follow this gentleman if he bounced from that scenario without having nothing to do with like the parental example, none of that. Just literally like the personal guilt that I think would plague you, Maxime, if you bounced. There's no, you would hate that. You would know that about yourself. I think you would like knock down the door to make sure you got in contact with Boss Hog and was like, dude, like this was me. I don't know if you got the video of it. If you like me, I can shoot you now. That'll make you feel better. But I, I think 100% you're coming clean. What's, what's the answer? So not only that, but I've I've learned the opposite lesson. This one time I was uh, at 14th and Franklin in downtown Oakland. And as I was pulling out of a parking spot, I like swiped um, the car in front of me that was parked. And I left a note. That woman ended up working for social security. Um, and she gave me her car and she was like, it's so cool that you did that. Like nobody has ever done that. You know, call me if you ever need anything. And I haven't needed social security help yet, but you know, like that was the reward for that behavior. And like, yeah, I had to pay out of pocket a little bit, but you know, now I have somebody on my team that might be able to help me out of a bind in the future. So I like to think, you know, there's some karmic justice or that sort of thing. I feel like I might now get boss hogs to <laughs> shoot the neighbor that's bothering me, you know, um, or so I don't even know, but you want that kind of guy in your camp. I think it's worth it. A thousand percent. That social security lady has completely forgot about you and will not be helping you in any way. Just, yeah, just saying, I don't know if you're no, like thinking about no, leaning out no. and like reaching in on her, but I think, about a know that. I think we can also expect an email from both Safeway and Rite Aid. Safeway is going to let Marcus know he's a terrible employee and Rite Aid is going to be like, dude, what's up with the stop sign? Like we did not get that note <laughs> and it's still bent over in Montclair. Let's get to the actual thing. So it happened to Dylan, dude. We pick it up where he left it off. He's, he's sitting there. Um, the kid is in the fucking is in this damaged car. What do we think he did? Uh, Dylan guessed for you, Maxime. Why don't we return the favor? What do you think? These are always interesting because now we've watched Dylan's reaction to all of ours, you know, and I've been like convinced that he's going to do or not do every single of the things that we did. So I think ultimately it comes down to, you know, Dylan was just talking about it's it's a new marriage, right? It's a stepdaughter and a stepdaughter's friend. And, you know, and then the step label is dropped. Like, it's clearly like, this is your daughter, right? And I think you not only take it seriously as a dad, but also as a husband. And you don't want to be the in the situation where now you have like two women basically um, that are disappointed in your actions. So I think for that reason, you do the right thing. I don't know if it's a note. I don't know if it's a knock on the door, but you basically use it as a teaching opportunity. Based on the dunk story, I think Dylan got out and fixed the building and like, you know, adopted the kid and became just an all around incredible person and helped out. OKC. Generally speaking, Dylan, what'd you do? Well, so first off you sit there and you're like, I cannot believe that that just happened. And then you're like, okay, so I could, who who do I tell? It's an empty warehouse in the middle of the night. I know the guy's phone number or in the afternoon. Oh my God, you left. So yeah. And I, and I was like, well, we, I could get out and leave like the fake note. Um, I definitely don't want to have any interaction with this guy uh, because I might not live through it. Um, so we back up and as we back up, there was a video of the whole thing. Shot by my stepdaughter who's laughing her ass off in the back seat. Uh, shot through the whole thing. So she has the entire video from the inside of the vehicle of me saying, no, 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 Franks, Franks, no. Then as we're pulling off and I'm just like, oh, I'm going to tell my wife. And the girls are laughing their butt off. She's like, you know, actually I did drive one time before a couple years ago. My dad let me drive and I ran right into a tree. I'm like, you've driven twice and you crashed both times. So her name is now Crash. 
I'm a horrible person and uh, uh, we actively uh, drive by and look at the dent in that building every time we, we leave home. I'm surprised you weren't like, wait a minute, you have a dad who's already teaching you how to drive? Because I feel like the whole premise of this shit was that there's nobody else who could do this for you. feels like you got roped into a shady scenario, Dylan. That's what it feels like to me. Well, it, it's one of those where he's not around very often. There you go. So, there you go. but <laughs> hey, crash going to crash. So she will be crashed for the rest of her life every time I talk to her. And I, I told I told my wife and was not in trouble. So all's good that ends well. Get us that video. That's the most important thing of this discussion. Um, Dylan, pleasure having you on. Uh, the audience, I'm sure, will get to know you a little bit better as we go forward here. Anything you want to plug? Anything worth uh, directing them to? Well, I, I mean, I, I, get, I throw some hot takes out. I get in arguments with that Grant Cohn guy uh, about Niners football pretty frequently. But uh, the main take? thing that, to keep an eye out for is I will go back to doing the man on the street stuff for the huddle. Uh, hopefully get into a few different stadiums and interviewing people over the year. So check that out. That'll be here on the huddle and probably also on, on my personal Twitter. Um, and other than that, go Warriors, go Niners, go Giants. Let's do this. You will also be creating multiple YouTube shorts for us. Hooray for Dylan. That's exactly what we need. Uh, with that in mind for us, you know where to find us. I won't go through all the social media sites. Instead, I'll just say Warriors Huddle. Check that out. If you want to um, send us an email, get us a question, let us know we've done a good job, bad job, any job, you can send it to Huddle at WarriorsHuddle.com. That in mind. Go Warriors. Hopefully, see you real soon. Good, good.